0: Welcome to Bevel, the podcast extension of Canadian Interiors, the longest-running interior design magazine in Canada, published since 1964. I'm host and editor-in-chief, Peter Sobchak. Bevel is a place where we step away from the photographs and talk with industry leaders and thinkers about interesting ideas and issues facing the design world today. This episode is brought to you by Fisher & PayCal. A global company that challenges conventional appliance design to create products that deliver to genuine human need. Visit fisherpaykel.ca for more. Architects and interior designers specify thousands of architectural and interior products, building materials, and related goods, an exercise that represents billions of dollars in yearly sales. But how these goods and products register on the radar of creative professionals and ultimately get specified is a major part of the industry that rarely gets discussed. Design firms have both formal and informal procedures when working with product representatives and, like everything else these days, things are changing due to a combination of both internal and external forces. In this episode of Bevel, we sit down with George Fusius, Design Director of Interior Design at LeMay, and unpack the evolving relationships between design leaders and product representatives and explore best practices for developing mutually beneficial relationships. Additionally, we address industry changes when it comes to supply change management and how firms are working with industry partners to adjust. We also discuss building a community in the face of an increasingly automated transactional setting and touch on the topic of a materials library and its viability moving forward when looked at through the lens of environmental sustainability and this post-COVID trend of eliminating office space. As Design Director for the Toronto Studio of LeMay, George has drawn on over 20 years of local and international experience to promote design excellence. His extensive knowledge and drive are reflected in the over 30 international design awards he has earned for his thoughtful, dynamic, and engaging design solutions for the residential, entertainment, and hospitality markets. All right, George, let me say I have been looking forward to this conversation. I look forward to all of our conversations. We always have a great time talking, and what I love when I'm talking with you is your candid honesty when we're unpacking the reality of the design business and this is what I want to tap into today, which is get some honest feedback about a topic that doesn't get talked a lot about, but it is an integral part of the uh, ecosystem of the interior design industry and that's the relationship between uh, product reps and salespeople and designers. And for the purpose of this conversation, we'll consider designers as a proxy term for either individual designers or design firms. But what I was hoping to do today is talk a bit about the uh, historical relationship, but also kind of do a deeper dive into how things are changing, because we are in an age of change. Um, And so I want to sort of uh, plumb your experience and wisdom on this topic and kind of see where we're at, but also where you would like to go. So first off, I want to say, thank you very much for uh, being generous with your time and uh, joining us on this episode.
1: Thanks, Peter. Likewise, my pleasure. Our conversations are always dynamic, they're always interesting, and they, we don't know where they're gonna end up, but we know where we, they start from, which is an inquisitive conversation that can lead organically to so many variants. So, so looking forward to today in, in exploring this topic with you like every other one. And it's that
0: point of exploration that I love that we're able to do. So let's, in the context of exploration, since we're going to at some point talk about the future, let's first talk a bit about the past. So let's set the stage um, and explain a bit for our listeners what the relationship between product reps and designers has typically been like. So pre-COVID and even leading up to including the early days of, of the digital revolution, what is the most likely type of relationship that a designer
1: would have with the product rep. Mm-hmm. Loaded question, and 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 interestingly enough, in my years of doing, uh, being in the A and D uh, community, I've seen the relationship shift um, in a number of different ways. The biggest change that happened between the A and D community and the product, let's start there, is the connection we had to it. There was a time when. Our single connection to any product that we were going to look at, uh, entertain, and use in our p- projects was through physical contact with a rep. They were the conduit to which we found out what's going on, what the new things are, what their offerings are, and what we can use um, in our in our uh, um, job. Uh, as the years went by and you know the worldwide web of things, we started getting also a bilateral and... and uh, Direct feed from the internet as to what the products are. So we started finding out uh, um, um, Directly what they can be and what what is available now. So the relationship between us and the reps shifted a little bit uh, As the years went by one of the things that happened that I noticed was that we started strengthening the relationships between us and our reps in that uh, we no longer need them strictly to find out what the new things are. We also need their experience and expertise. So over the years, we started developing relationships with specific people. And we always tend to to, work, to want to work with, uh, with uh, people that we like. This is a human condition. We really want to create the relationships and keep them and work with our friends. So over the years, it became more important to have a relationship-based um, engagement with our reps. Uh, That goes across the entire strata of different types of products uh, and it has to do with uh, products that are close as well as products that are far away from us, global, uh, regional and so on. So the relationship in the last uh, uh, long while has been both online and on-ground. The online relationship has been through communication, which is digital, emails, texts and so on. And the on-ground communication and engagement has been through meeting people, socially as well as uh, professionally but also going into showrooms so that has always been a balance between uh, the world that we we look to investigate in terms of what's available to us and the look that we, we want to actually acquire in our toolkit of what we use in our project so uh, for me for example to go to a showroom allows me to tactile uh, and and feel and touch and, and uh, be able to expose to all the bits and pieces that I would want uh, to use in my project. So being able to have a physical presence and physical um, connection to to what we use is very important. The relationship between us and the reps has become more human, meaning um, instead of uh, a while back when we would have reps coming in on a regular basis and just bringing books upon books upon books, a lot of this stuff is available online. So now our, our communication with our reps will be more curated. So, for example, I, I would work with someone that, uh, um, that is in the tile industry. And, and uh, after years of working with someone, they understand how you work. So then they kind of know re- sort of what you're looking for. So the language that I need to express a vision that I have is lesser and more tuned into that person because they, they understand it. Which means they're more part of my team than they were before. Whereas before I might export myself to find out what's was available, now I ask that to, to uh, come in uh, to us. So the relationship up to, say, pre-COVID for the sake of this conversation has been where we would actually uh, uh, talk to maybe lesser uh, quantities of reps in in more more engaging conversations because we know that they understand us and we understand them. We know what product they have. They know what we're looking for. So it's quite a bit more of a a sort of uniform uh, transaction.
0: Okay, that's interesting. Um, I mean, right out of the gate, you talked about how, you know, it's a – There are different sort of connected points within that personal relationship. And I kind of want to unpack that for a minute because I'm wondering how, let's talk about like a a design firm where, like, we're not talking uh, lone wolves, you know, uh, single designers. Let's talk about design firms. And so within a firm, there's different strata within the organization. You have principals at the top, various layers, up and down, uh, intermediates, juniors. They have a variety of responsibilities and a variety of things expected of them. And I'm wondering how that strata fits into the matrix of how a product rep or a salesperson would interact with the firm. So what's the likelihood of a rep having a direct relationship with a principal versus someone else? And is is, is that desirable? Is that expected? Is there like a policy or a protocol of those it, on what level a rep has entry into a firm? I'm curious how that dynamic is
1: broken is broken down. Good point. So, let's just like you said, let's not take out the single uh, single source design uh, um, person, but let's just take a, um, talk about a design or and firm, and let's just uh, look at maybe a couple of uh, parts to that equation. A couple of different types of firms. One would be the firm that is a smaller firm or a boutique firm where uh, a designer will do more hands-on work throughout the entirety of the project. Whether you're a principal, whether you're intermediate, senior, or junior, you are more involved in a day-to-day part of the project. And then you have AD firms that are larger or quite a bit more structured, where the framework uh, creates a a bit of a uh, strata between, say, a principal, a design director, senior, junior, intermediate, where different people have different responsibilities to be able to, to engage with reps, with product, with specifications, and so on. Uh, what is different between them is that uh, from a reps perspective or from an from um, external source perspective, the engagement with a firm will be at different levels, and I'll explain that uh, uh, in a second, how we see that working. What is the same is that we still, from internally, we still are seeking those human connections of the people that we, that we know, understand who we are, how we work, and are able to provide product for us for, for lesser uh, amount of effort from our end. And, and what I mean by that is, we've come to a point where communication is instant. Uh, we no longer, pretty much most of us, take the phone and call someone, we'll send a message, and we'll get a response pretty quickly, but the responses are uh, immediate. And we expect that in the engagement on how we we, uh, import uh, product and information to the firm. So from an A&D firm, we would really want to be able to ask questions really quickly and get a lot of options that we can choose from. So uh, you asked about how the engagement between um, a rep into a firm uh, um, happens and and the different stratas within the firm. Um, That depends on relationships uh, 100%, but it also depends on the type of product. I'll give you an example. Um, in, in a couple of the firms that I've worked in lately, what we have, have um, realized is the most efficient structure to develop product or develop product within a, a design or a concept for a project is to look at our team and, and me as a design director tell the team, listen, we're looking for, for example, this type of wood flooring or this type of tile, this type of wall covering and our intermediates and juniors will take that and i will ask them find me a number of examples for example on a gray textured fabric and they will reach out to their uh reps that they have relationships with and they will bring me a number of options and from that pool we'll choose what we feel is certain or hone it in a little more and go go out and shop again Uh, but these are commodity products they're products that that most people have variations of and then you the intermediates and the juniors and the seniors would go into their relationships and draw from that then there's other parts of um, um, of the the specification the product and the information we need to receive which is maybe more specialized it could be uh, art components it could be lighting it could be furniture a lot of the ffne that happens uh, most of the time with more involvement from a senior a design director or a principal depending on their engagement with the project so there this is where for example i would I would look at uh, my uh, team and I will say, I'm looking for this kind of product and this is the kind of firm that I would like to look at because I like their line. So this is going to be more specific. The communication between the sales rep for that kind of product will come at a higher level to a principal, to a design director and so on. Whereas the commodity items will be more within the team. This is... um, this is expressed to me by a number of sales reps in the industry who have said, you know, we realize that there's different people in a firm that we need to approach for different products. And, and uh, up to this point, this has worked really well. It seems to be working even better as we get more digital in our communication, because a lot of the times, once the initial uh, connection happens with a sales rep, and then, for example, I will look with my intermediate on a number of products that we hone into a company, then the communication between me, my team and the rep becomes broadcast. So I'll be copied in the email so, so we have a conversation more openly. But to start, depending on the product, you'll get different ways of, of coming into a, a company and and talking to the various people of the team or the strata. Yeah the reason I ask
0: about how that uh, connection is created is you know because obviously designers for designers time is Time is money, <laughs> to put it bluntly. But time is at a premium. And I mean, principals can't possibly have the time necessary to become encyclopedias of product awareness and education. But you said it yourself, education is a key part of that of that relationship. And you end up creating stronger relationships with uh, you know, reps or, or uh, uh, salespeople that understand the importance of that relationship and make it easier for you to, to, to do that. Um, and then on the flip side, sometimes, like you say, you you, you go to a you know an intermediate and say, uh, you know, give me x number of examples of these tiles, and then it's on them to go out and either educate themselves or be educated. And so you talked about this earlier. You know, there's, uh, there's certain venues like trade shows traditionally have been a place to um, somewhat safely expose yourself to stuff. Like you're not having to engage with reps right away. Uh, You can ease into it. You can inch into it, kind of thing. You can stand safely in the aisle and look at something and read it before you have to go talk to someone. Uh, Design media is obviously uh, one of those sources, Um, but then uh, eventually the the reps are going to want to come talk to you. They're going to want to bring a sample book. They're going to want to give you some material to add to your your uh, material library, and so this is where I was part of where I was coming from when I was asking like who who manages those relationships or who are they more likely to come talk to? And you said there's a lot of, there's a variable within that. You know, sometimes it's, it, there's more natural uh, breakdowns of those relationships where they just know who they should come talk to for this. And they know, I'm not going to go talk to, them. I'm not going to bother the principal about this because they, they don't have the time or that kind of thing. But given the, uh, and that was a bit of a long-winded lead to my next question, because given sort of the growing nature of relationships within firms in general. There's not so much of a hierarchy anymore. There's more effort into making those uh, making those strata more porous. There's much more involvement, much more up and down. Uh, I'm wondering how those relationships are changing now in a slightly more, when well, you said it yourself, the digital era, um, when they don't necessarily have to put effort into getting to know you very well, they just do blanket. Uh, Mail outs or stuff like that. So, you know, let's let's start to talk about that. How is the relationship changing now in a highly digital era, and even more so in the COVID era, where you know you couldn't meet anybody for two years. We haven't been able to do face to face meetings, lunch and learns. We haven't been able to interact with products all that much or people behind the products. I'm curious, how where are we now, so to speak?
1: Okay, that's a that's a very cool very cool uh, question, and it's been very interesting to see how that's developed over the last year and a half uh, with COVID, and, and actually how what has happened. You know, two things happen. One, COVID, of course, and the other one is there's a generational way of working, uh, where the new the young designers that are coming into play have a different way of, of uh, accessing information, and digesting information, and, and propagating information. So those two things um, have been very interesting over the past year and a half. Let's take this question in two parts. One, let's start from the perspective of the salesperson. Let's see how that's changed from them and then we'll take it into our end and then see where the two meet. From a salesperson before, uh, uh, as the digital era sort of started coming into play, they started realizing that uh, whereas before, a, re, a um, rep would have to individually and physically visit every design studio to even introduce uh, uh, the team to a new product, hold, hold, hold a latch and learn, which was informational and transactional, hold, uh, um, maybe speak to a, uh, a designer from the studio that they know, they have a relationship with, I will let them in, just to show them new product, and then the designer will take it in, will uh, uh, digest it with the team or the studio, and they come back and give feedback and then hone in what the, the rep is bringing in so before it was a singular uh, point of contact every rep had to actually meet a person call a person uh, send something to a person when the digital broadcast came into play now a rep can send this information to 20 different studios at the same time and get feedback from that and interest without actually engaging physically with every single one as COVID happened that even that um, lesser connection kind of ceased. So then all you had was digital communication. The industry and the sort of the slowdown and restart of, of uh, uh, the work notwithstanding, the relationship between the A&D studio and the rep became singly, uh, singularly communicative through uh, a medium, not necessarily through through uh, social, uh, not social media, but social presence. So for example, whereas uh, I would see my, my uh, um, favorite reps once every couple of weeks or three weeks we go for lunch talk and then we'll also find out organically about what's happening what's new now it would be quite a bit more focused so from their end they they had a smaller window of direct communication and a larger window of broadcast communication from our end from the AD community it's it's similar in that as we started easing back into the sort of on-ground world we haven't gone back to the point where we visit showrooms yet. It's still digital. For us, we get a lot of information, and, and, and you're aware we get so, so much data coming in in terms of new product, in terms of companies, and it is no longer regional. It is now global. I get so much information uh, from Europe these days because you and I have attended uh, conferences in, in Europe together, and you realize that the connections are, of the, you know, the global small, small village are much easier to make now. So I, I'll get uh, calls and, and uh, confirmation from people from Europe, from Asia, saying, we got new product, here's an email, if you're interested, call us back. So it's quite a bit more of a passive communication in the beginning, and then you see what sticks and, and move from there. But for our reps here, which are really our, our point of contact with product, we are now starting to see that we're going back to communicating with them uh, um, one-on-one. And that, uh, uh, what I meant before about this being generational uh, as well as circumstantial, circumstantial being COVID and and coming out of it, generational is how the new designers work. That changed the way we interact from, for example, principals, design directors, which we uh, at our age group and our our sort of time here have learned to, to engage with people in a certain way to a younger generation that now seeks information in a different way. So these are two sort of, Half of the same, uh, two parts of the same coin that are, are merging as we coming back on ground between my, say, junior designers and me, where we are looking for information in different ways. And then we're finding ways to merge that so we communicate uh, our expectations and our engagement with our reps in a sort of similar uh, uh, way.
0: Let, let me put you on the hot seat for a second here. What you just said, I find fascinating the difference between. Uh, it's almost like cognitive engagement. It's like a, it sets of behavior when looking at the different generations. Certain generations grew up doing business a certain way. Then there's another generation for purpose of you know, everyone everyone knows what I'm talking about. Basically talking about, you know, Gen Zers or is it Gen Wires? I can't remember the difference. But wh- whichever one is considered the digital babies, the one who grew up that are growing up on a phone. Uh, you know, Pinterest Instagram is second nature to them their engagement with things tends to be filtered through a digital lens and so I'm kind of curious and this is what I meant when I said I want to put you on the hot seat do you see a qualitative difference at all in the uh, the the types of engagement with something as real and tactile as product because you can't you can't like I'll be honest I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give away my bias I, I can't see how you can understand the difference between types of carpet if you're not physically holding it. So how can you get it? You can read a spec sheet, I guess, you can look at a picture, but until you're engaging with it, how can you know the difference? This is where I wonder about the, you know, what the qualitative difference in decision-making when you filter an existence through a digital lens versus having grown up playing with fabric swatches, stone Mm -hmm. tiles, you know, riding mm-hmm. around on a on
1: a task chair kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do you see where I'm going? Yeah, I know a hundred percent. Since you put him in a hot seat, I'll just put my flame suit on and and, and <laughs> give my opinion on this. So so you said qualitative, which is a very key word in, in how I'm going to express my, my sort of experience so far. Um, one of the one of the differences that I see between say how I uh, how I engage in creating a vision, taking that into concept, into design, into a, pro- into a project, and how I see the juniors, the students, and, and the intermediates, so on, the younger age that I'm, I'm, I'm engaging with and I'm working with, which is our millennials and Gen Zers and so on, is in how we approach the uh, um, the assembly of a design. So to me, I start. Uh, by having an idea, having a vision, and then starting to crystallize that in my mind, and I look for product that will uh, address or will support my idea. And uh, my expectation of what I need to get and how I approach sales reps is by saying, you know what, I have this idea, and this idea for this space has this white and gray terrazzo, for example. So I will approach the people that, that I know understand what I mean by that and say, this is my vision, show me what you have. They will show me what they have, and I will gauge that against this m- sort of mental image that I have in what that should be like, and then uh, look from that and, and suppose that it's the right thing or the wrong thing, and then tailor it, and keep tailoring it until I get what I want. In working with uh, my younger designers, when I, uh, in the instance that I've given them the opportunity to be able to take a vision to a concept, to design, to a project, what I see... Um, not across the board, but for the most part I see them do is uh, it is more of a uh, uh, multiple-choice way of seeing design evolution. So, for example, they will think, you know, I want to have a terrazzo floor. Let's see what's available there. And then from what is available, they will pick something that is available as opposed to keep looking, and maybe it's uh, part of our OCD, to actually find exactly what we're looking for because it's a very tailor specific Result we're looking for, but they will look at what's available and say, okay, I'll take this and I will take that. The difference between the two is that uh, in my mind, the design comes from a concept in my head and it gets executed by by the pieces that I find that are, that are tailored to it. Whereas with some of my younger designers who are beginning to see what's available and sort of start to pick what's closest and then even the design changes a little bit because of availability, is how their approach is. So like you mentioned Pinterest, you mentioned Instagram, uh, you may have an idea uh, as, as a young designer about doing doing a, a, a space and then you see an image that changes your mind on Instagram and then you follow that. So it's more about a following a trail that, that is available online to get you to where you want as opposed to starting from an inward idea that you have that you want to express. The difference may be a little philosophical. For me, it's a little spiritual as well in that I have... I do what I do because there's something inside me that I need to express, and I find my uh, my voice in every project that I have by being able to draw from inside to make that happen. Whereas um, the the younger designers that I work with, uh, and again, it's not carte blanche, but for the most part, the younger designers will look at what is out there, available to them in the strata of, of our world, and just pick that and uh, assimilate an idea. Is it better or worse from a qualitative perspective? I'm not quite sure. I've seen good and bad examples of both. But the difference between the two also changes the way we um, interact with reps, the way we interact with our teams, the way we interact or, or source the information, and what we're asking from our reps to give back to us uh, uh, as a sort of return on investment in the relationships. Okay, we so we've
0: been talking a lot about relationships and we're gonna come back to that because that's you know vital to our conversation, but I want to take a minute and go in a different direction and talk about the materiality of products, because I think in this, you know, where we are now in this day and age, it's, I mean, aside from just the, the importance of what that is for for your business and for the reality of design, I think there's a whole new element to it, which is obviously environmental concerns. You know, how, things like embodied carbon, like the whole dialogue about environmental sustainability. And the materiality of product is something that I I see people talking more and more about, thinking more and more about. So I kind of want to get your feedback on on that. And let's zero in specifically on to start off with on the existence of the material library. Most firms have it. Uh, well, I don't I don't know if most, but you know it's it, it's it seems to be a staple in many firms. The bigger the firm, the more likely they have one. Obviously, I'm wondering though about. Um, it's long the future shall we say of the material library is it something you think firms are still going to need to have moving forward with a couple things taken into consideration of one the the materiality of the material uh, which is to say like it's it's a product that got made and is sitting on a shelf (laughs) secondly though material libraries take up space and firms right now are let's let's say negotiating or exploring the evolution of the need for office space some firms are doubling down some firms are completely backing away from it covid's obviously had a huge impact on that we're still kind of seeing how the dust is settling some firms are requiring Know, uh, essentially, 100% mm-hmm. return to the office. Others are 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 not renewing their leases, getting rid of the office, and saying we work 100% from home. Mm-hmm. That's just you know uh, they're all making decisions based on what they I guess see as the most uh, you know business oriented uh, uh, element for their for their companies. So back to the material library. Does. Is there a future for it? Is it? Do you feel is it still a necessary component? Uh, and how does how does uh, its existence get wrapped into much more sensitive concerns about
1: environmentalism? Okay, so <laughs> I know I
0: gave you a load. I I, I I did what journalism school 101 tells you not to do, which is give you double or triple barreled questions. But oh, you know but what? I can't help it because to me, it's all those things are, are yeah. playing into
1: each other. Uh, You know what, um, there's a number of questions you ask, but they all refer to the one singular identity of the material library. So uh, it's okay to have all the questions because they're kind of related, but I will split them up for the sake of this conversation into two, Uh, the the sense of sustainability and responsibility in terms of materiality and having something shipped back and forth, and then whether or not it's uh, um, necessary and whether or not it's relevant and whether or not it's going to keep going in the future so let's start with um, the idea of whether or not that's responsible uh, there is always uh, the conversation that you know um, do more ship less so so shipping is really the issue that we're discussing if you really think about it materials aren't made specifically to go to libraries materials that are available they may cut them or they may they may uh, uh, package them but they go to libraries by shipping and shipping is really the, the culprit here Um, My experience um, with uh, the very first interior design firm that I worked with, uh, Hirschberg Design, who was was my mentor for a long time, he had a library that uh, spanned probably about 30, 35 years worth of of a career. And uh, having been with him for almost a decade, I learned that 80% of the library didn't change. 80 percent of the materials were pretty much similar. Some of them got substituted, some new materials came in, some old ones came out, but for the most part a lot of the materials were there. If you really think about it, if you look at talking about stones, you're talking about tile, uh, all the companies that we work with have lines that have been around for a long time but still will be around and keep going, and then there's trendy materials and trendy, trendy product that comes in and out, but for the most part a library is not something that you keep changing every week. It's not a retail store. It is something that, that you keep, for the most part, uh, uh, fairly intact. Why? Because every firm develops a sense of uh, design narrative, a design uh, character that they push out. And after a while, you realize that the firm, the studio that you're with, a lot of the products that you're going to use are pretty similar to what you have been using, to what you're going to be using in the future. So a lot of the woods, a lot of the uh, stones, a lot of the glass, for example, you will not necessarily need to keep updating that. So even though uh, you may have a library in the studio, that doesn't mean that the entire library is transient. It doesn't shift all the time. There's no, there's no sort of uh, um, uh, rollout of materials all the time. There's just a little bit of, of it. So it's fairly static. So that is sort of talking about the, the sustainability of it. Of course, when you're talking about international shipments, it's a little bit different. So again, you and I have been in conferences uh, um, uh, in Europe, and every time I meet someone there, I said, please email me your catalog. When I look at it and the something of value, I would love you to send it to me because there's a very important reason why we need a tactile presence in front of us. And I'll get to that on the second point. But in terms of uh, responsibility in the sustainability of a library, that is as much uh, has to do with the rep and the company as it does with the AD community. So if you know they're going use most of the time you're going to use the same materials, you, you're not going to ask for you know 10 of the same type of wood, 10 of the same type of fabric. You're just going to have what you need and, and move forward with it and just bring in what you need specifically for something. And again, that's where relationship comes in. You, you speak to your uh, rep and you say, listen, I'm looking for this kind of material. Here's a picture of what I have here, but not quite like that. I want something different. They'll understand what you're looking for and they'll bring it back to you. So so, so, where the relationship with the reps is important is to minimize the amount of back and forth of material. They don't need to bring me 20 tiles. They may the first time they meet me. And the second time, 10. Second time, 5, because they know what I want. So that is so important to be able to curate a more sustainable approach on how you move things back and forth. So now let's talk about uh, material library as a real estate and as a, whether or not it's irrelevant, relevant, irrelevant or necessary going forward so I'll start with you and I sitting in this meeting room having this conversation we are what, four feet away from each other, There's mice, uh, the, the mics are in between us and we have a cord that connects your mic to you, my mic to me these cords could be a foot like they are now, or they could be 15 kilometers from where you are where I am yet we decided to come here and meet together, why? Because there is a human connection and rhythm that we create when we're in the presence of each other that changes the conversation uh, between a Zoom call or a Teams call, and everybody uh, everybody in, uh, who's listening to this uh, knows this, it's this not the same thing as the nuance of a human connection face-to-face. And this is really one of the two important parts of a library uh, and real estate in an A&D office going forward. Why would we come back to the office and why would anyone uh, who owns a design firm pay real estate to actually host one? We're in the creative industry. We're in the industry where the nuance between people and how we work is, uh, uh, has a rhythm and an organic movement to it that we can only 100% uh, feel and see and vibrate with when we're around the table. Uh, not because of uh, how we'll be doing it for our entire lives just because of how humans communicate there's a certain uh, um, there's a certain breadth of communication and and uh, collaboration that happens when you're in the same room that is not the same when you're' elsewhere um, there's uh, the difference between having a transactional communication on a team as opposed to a fully uh, a rhythmical communication when you're on top of a set of drawings or materials and so on you look at everything at the same time so that's one thing. It is it, it, for us, uh, and and I, I would like to hope that for many AD studios, the return to the office, uh, and actually the value or the ROI to return to the office would not be so that you can come to the office, sit on a desk, and do what you did at home. Why? Why would you do that? Why would I want to come here and sit in front of a computer or my laptop when I can do that at home and, and I can you know take work in the in the way that I want to, not have to commute. If I'm asking someone to come in and work with me, in the office will be to be here together at the same time to actually uh, work as one team physically. And that also means being able to do that both in how we design drawings, how we look at spaces, how we we create ideas, but also how do we pick materials. We designers in in architecture and interior design specifically, we we manifest build spaces. We create ideas, concepts, We talk to our clients, we find out their their dreams, their visions, their ideas, their wants, their needs, and we take that and translate it into a physical space. That translation requires us to be able to immerse our own selves into the physical space as much as we can. And this is where a material library comes in. Because we can sit down on this table and pick everything that we want and take a look at everything in front of us. And there's a nuance about feeling, like you said before, touching, being tactile uh, uh, and looking at everything and walking around it that is different than, than trying to do that on a mirror board or or on an uh, uh, online platform. It's not the same thing. At the end of the day, if we are designing for a space that someone, anyone, is going to go and experience physically, uh, nothing beats us being able to, to uh, uh, physically be there in the bits and pieces of it so that we can orchestrate that end product. It is the exact same way why uh, musicians going to a studio to work as opposed to working remotely all the time off of their various uh, uh, spaces because there's something special and human about coming together for that so that is so important to be able to have my team here and sit down and bring people bring things in and take a look at them learn as much from our right choices as we learn from our mistakes in just looking at things because some things become very evident when you're in front of them it is so important to see that just standing uh, you know, on the left side of the table, and then you move to the right, and the light changes in the material, changes your, your perception of it. Uh, so that's so, so intuitive and important that the, that I believe is an inherent part of how we design. I would add to that also, the, the again, talking about how we sometimes learn from our mistakes is uh, sometimes uh, I've come across uh, situations where I want to design something, uh, me or the team or whomever, and we, uh, we have a, maybe a vague idea, or maybe we don't have any idea, we're kind of trying to figure out writer's block and how to move forward. And I will just walk through the library in the studio and all of a sudden things will start jumping up at me. And then, then in, um, in a sort of more, more uh, abstract way in a more ambient way, things start speaking to me. In the same way, and, and this is the first time that I, I heard of that is when I was doing an art project and one of my collaborators was a sound engineer for the movies. And he said, sometimes I will walk on the park with my microphone and my headphones and I just let the world tell me what I need to find. And it's the same thing for me. Sometimes I'll just walk to the library, if nothing else, to clear my mind, if anything else, to find some ideas that are sitting there waiting for me. And it's not necessarily that stone or that glass or that fabric or that piece of metal that matters as much as, the fact that they're all there circling and my mind starts picking these little things and all of a sudden starts to put together put together the ideas that I'm, I'm looking for and even sometimes when, when we'll have a project and we we'll have found most of the pieces and, and you go, you know, there's something missing what is it, I don't know and then you look around and all of a sudden it's right there sitting on the shelf you wouldn't be able to do that if you're sitting in front of a screen looking at your, say, apartment wall without any materials to jump at you because that's a, that the communication with that environment is different than just being immersed into it. So if I were going to um, say that we need to um, spend money as an A&D uh, environment to, to come back into the office, to the studio, into the atelier, uh, 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 to work, why would we come back and what would give us the most, uh, uh, the most value? It would be that what we cannot do separately. So if we're gonna come together and we're gonna be a, sort of the hub that creates something, if we're gonna assemble a team to do something together, we should be able to have uh, the, the collaborative environment in front of us, be it a big digital drawing screen, being a set of drawings, we're gonna have models in front of us, we're gonna ha- we should have the materials in front of us so we can all pick up together uh, uh, and and be able to assemble that sort of creativity on the ground right there. So, So for us, the idea of collaboration comes with, with something that is very important that I think, is, that, that I think we, sometimes we, we miss. It's a nuance that we miss. We talk about being able to communicate well. Communication is not the key to deliver good results. Comprehension is. We can communicate, but if we don't understand we're communicating, we get stuck and we all think different things. But when you're in front of everyone and you communicate like we are right now, just by nodding our heads, there's a comprehension that you wouldn't get otherwise. So that's the same thing with the material library. You need to feel these pieces. There's an emotional value attached to me touching different finishes of, of uh, stone or wood just because my hand feels a little different. The temperature is different between them. That that t- subtle nuance is so important in what we do and how we pre- prepare and, and execute a package that in the end kind of makes sense to everybody that comes in and experiences it.
0: Yeah, no, I agree that there's definitely something lost in the two-dimensional interface of uh, Zoom calls and, yeah, you know, uh, online this and that and online everything. Um, you're right, there's, there's no substitute for the real thing. But always in the back of my head, I'm still always thinking, okay, the, one of the big um, goals in the AMD industry has to be how to minimize our environmental footprints. Like the, the, the built environment, as we all know, is uh, you know a, a major um, cause of environmental issues. Carbon. And, I think I read recently that um, buildings, the, the the extraction, processing, and manufacture of building materials is responsible for ten percent of carbon emissions around the world. Uh, like we're not talking small small stakes. We're talking big big numbers here. So I'm just I'm always wondering like where can we where can we tighten things up where can we be smarter about about how we handle materials products because ideas ideas are the starting point but then at the end point you have something to show for it. you have you know I'm, I'm tapping the top of a, something that has a material existence a table and what's embedded in this table where do these materials come from where the you know, the the manufacturing, the shipping, all that kind of stuff. And this is now a bigger issue too because we're struggling right now with supply chain issues and all Mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. So I'm just, while on one level, I think most designers would, all designers would agree with you that there's no substitute for the real thing. There's no substitute for being creative in a group Talking to someone when you're two feet away from them and you're engaging with the the, 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 the nonverbal but just as loud and important forms of communication, what you what you called engagement, uh, while all that's relevant, uh, you know, relevant, I'm still wondering where can we be smarter
1: about it. Good point. So we started seeing that exact. Um, that exact topic raised before even COVID, before we, we actually were negated from, from physically participating in, in uh, this collaboration. And one of the, the examples that we saw in addressing sort of less of a fragmented material, uh, um, you know, material send out to more of a centralized approach is by, by a couple of firms, some in Canada and the US as well, and in Europe, where you centralize libraries. So um, there was one that I went to uh, last year in, in Mercedes-Mart in Chicago, where there was a centralized library of uh, materials and finishes from all different manufacturers. It was almost like, more like a global environment where you could go in and pick and, and select and so on. Uh, there's a lot of debate on whether or not that, that is the way to go or not. Definitely, it would limit the amount of uh, materials that have been sent to all the different AD firms and, and designers. Also, it would, uh, of course, limit the waste and also limit the amount of space you would need per A&D studio or home or whatever to, to host and, and house uh, the materials that you need. The, that's the upside. The downside is that um, for a number of people, the work we do is confidential, so you can't really just go out and start doing that in, 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 in uh, an environment that's open to everyone. So there's nuances there as well. So that's a model that works in certain ways and offers some solutions, and it doesn't work in other ways and doesn't offer solutions. So there's no one single uh, answer to it. Um, one more more thing to add to that is uh, for many designers, uh, myself included, um, the design process in an, is an introverted one. Again, I was, I was saying before, I reach deep inside to find out what I need to pull it out as opposed to looking around me to bring th- things down to, to the project. So for me, being able to be in a space that I feel it, uh, uh, is my own to, to create from is super important. So, so I value the sense of being in a space that, that is mine that I can pull things from to to and you know pull a whole bunch of materials, put it on the table, then walk away, and then well, Friday, and then Monday, I come back and I look at it from a different light. But it's sitting there for me, which I can't do in a sort of public material library per se. Um, so I don't think that that engagement is ever going to change one way or another, hundred percent. There's going to be models of both platforms of both at work, whether it's your own library, or whether it's a central library, where I think we can um, we can really make it dent in terms of how uh, small of a footprint the e community has in, in the materiality, the transfer and shipping and everything else, is something that I actually started seeing happening uh, even before this became a topic, uh, in that there was a time when I started in this industry where, where uh, we would not recycle things, we would not return things. would get, uh, the suppliers would get us a number of uh, materials and finishes and so on, that would sit there for a while, they wouldn't want it back, they wouldn't ask for it back, we wouldn't want to keep it. That was almost dating myself before our full-on, you know, seven-compartment uh, re- recycling program we have now. But we'd end up throwing a lot of stuff out simply because we, A, didn't want it, the reps didn't want it back, and so on. Over the years, I've noticed this, this really beautiful shift from the suppliers coming to us saying we're, we're, we want to be more responsible, we want to be able to create a smaller footprint. That started with a product. So, we started with a product that delivered to us, which will deliver in our project to our clients. That was very important. And then we started having things like lead and, and certifications, wellness, and so on. So, that enforced that and legislated and, and sort of legitimized that approach that, you know, responsibility is part of our design criteria. That over the years started trickling down to how we engage with our reps. For example, uh, I have. Uh, uh, reps that i'm i have really good relationships with they know me i know them and we both know that we're both very sensitive to the sense of of waste uh, management and i'm not talking about waste management as an output waste management as a philosophical uh, uh, life uh, stand right? right i don't want to create more stuff because we have way more stuff than we ever need i just want to be able to use the stuff in the best way i can to deliver the process that I want to deliver. Right. So we're both sensitive to that. So when I, for example, ask one uh, my reps, uh, i use tile, uh, to bring me some tile, I will, they know that for me, they will bring me tile that is loose, that then they can take back. I'm not gonna mark it, I'm not gonna change it, I'm not gonna cut it, I'm just gonna use it, borrow it pretty much, and then they can take it back. And I'm not going to ask them to come back and forth just for the trip of getting in, but when when they come in, say once a month to to just just uh, deliver a number of other things, they also tag this in and take it back. So so we're just kind of moving product every now and then, and some of that has to happen if we're talking about a material engagement or tactile engagement with something. But the waste of it is what I've seen shift quite a bit. So, whereas a library before would have a lot of uh, sort of waste output where it goes to the garbage and so on, now we try to a reuse it or give it back or or sort of move it around rather than throw it out. So that's that's one of the the ways that we do that. And also, really, uh, again, after a while, this is where relationship is very important. Suppliers know they don't need to bring me 50 tiles out of which I'll only be interested in 20. They know us already. That's important. So they curate what we want and they only move. You know things that that uh, uh, that matter. One one of my friends a while ago said, "I would rather move electrons than protoplasm. I'd rather move information than people." You know, and it's the same thing with materials. I'd rather know what you want, bring you what you need, and then take back what you don't. And that, with uh, a rep that I know, is a conversation over five minutes in my office. They'll come in, they say, "Okay, you ask for this this sort of product. I have fifteen. What do you think? Oh, I like these three. Can I have a larger sample? Take the rest of it back, and it's done." They don't sit here for me to throw out later and manage the whole process. So we're all becoming quite a bit more sensitive and actually uh, uh, more proactive in, in uh, being uh, um, more responsible about the process. Okay, so what you
0: just said there beautifully brings us back to the core element of what we're talking about here, which is the talking about the evolution of the relationship between the product suppliers and reps and the A&D industry that relies on them that uses those products and for which that relationship is so important. It really is the connective tissue between the two groups the A&D community and the product suppliers and reps is like I said at the very beginning it's part of the ecosystem of design. That being said I really would love to know since we're in a transitional an evolutionary stage of many things in life but in particular the design world how it's relating to the Uh, you know, the the, the evolving needs of the built environment, issues of uh, offices, which I think we all agree they're not going anywhere, but they might change. You know, these things, these external forces that are creating ripple effects, these ripple effects will have short, medium, and longer term impacts. Some of them will, it'll be like an elastic band, will go back to the original format, but then in other cases, the impacts might be revolutionary if looked at on a long enough scale so obviously i'm not asking you to be clairvoyant and look into a crystal ball i'm more curious since you in a way with this podcast have the ability to speak to that audience the and audience also the product reps that are a part of this uh ecosystem what would you like to to tell them or or you know illustrate to them that if you could have certain things change in a certain way what would you want to see change in that relationship
1: Okay, good, good question. So um, I'll circle back a little bit to where we are right now and use um, the last 18 months, 20 months of uh, our sort of COVID as a catalyst of a shift. And what that taught us is um, there's a lot of processes that we built into our A and D real estate uh, in terms of how we put together a studio. And a lot of the pieces that we added to our studios uh, got there because we needed them, but a lot of them also got there because we got used to them. So uh, realizing that we're, we're forced to find a new way to transactionally collaborate over the last uh, two years, uh, we're coming back to the office and re-looking at what, how we do certain things and realizing that certain things we don't need. Certain things need to change, certain things we need more of. So so knowing that, we're restructuring our, our re-entry to, uh, f- and I'm talking about a, the creative community. I'm talking about a and D. I'm not talking about our clients. I'm talking about the typical offices. I'm talking about us, where we need to work together. So we're restructuring our re-entry in that we're beginning to realize that the real estate we're going to have physically, if we're going to migrate from home to work to home to whatever frequency that is in a hybrid model, that means that we have to be in the office and get the most value per hour that we're there. And what does that look like? That looks like the kind of environment where we collaborate, we communicate, we, we, we work together physically and all the nuances that we spoke of before in being able to create uh, the product that we create, which is the design um, that the A&D community produces um, most effect- effectively. So if we're gonna do that in a real estate, what we want to do is we wanna be able to be as efficient as we can uh, in our time, but this, this means sort of a flex. And what I mean by that is efficiency doesn't mean speed. Efficient means being able to get the most out of the time that you have. Not faster, just better. So if I'm going to sit with my team here for three hours to work on a project, I want it to be the most effective and get the best result out of it, not necessarily the, the biggest result out of it. What that means is relying on expertise, relying on collaboration, relying on on fluffing out the things that we don't need to, to, to engage on um, and really dive in and be able to, uh, in an uninterrupted way, work together to deliver a result. That means no more, oh, your mic's off, or you're on mute, or you know your camera's off, none of that. Like, So we come to a point where we can sit down, at at the, the table, and work together really well. That makes the process more efficient. How does that relate to the reps? It relates to the reps in that uh, we live in a world, a digitized world we talked about before, in how you get the product information in. Is a, is a world, is a digital world of information, not of knowledge. I can get a broadcast from every imaginable supplier of um, wall covering, and they would tell me all the different patterns, all the different looks they have, but I don't know exactly what the best thing would be for me until I ask someone who knows. Same thing with flooring, same thing with a number of different things, lighting and so on. So if I'm going to, to, to look into your website and another 15 websites, I'll get information, but then I'll have to figure out what it means. But if I talk to you, and you are the person who knows your product inside and out, because that's what you do, you will be able to guide me through what I need to to, 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 uh, um, to get the results that I want. It is not any dissimilar for our industry than it is for a mechanic, you don't, uh, you don't try to find out what the problem is with your car online. You may, but in the end, you'll go to the mechanical and, and say, so what do you think we should do here? And they'll tell you, and you say, thank you, fix it. So that's the engagement. We, we're, we're experts in what we do, and we connect with experts in what they do, and together, we are very efficient in being able to go from A to Z. This is a powerful uh, uh, relationship. It's a very important relationship. And the more you know someone, the better the relationship gets Personally, but also professionally. So this is w- what what is never going to stop going forward because we have now uh, um, the ability to look at everything online. And but it's not the point of uh, 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 saying I need something. What's the right thing to do? I'll just Google it. That's not that's not the answer because you're going to get a whole lot of information. But what do you do with it? How do you disseminate that to what their right right uh, solution is? And that's why. These relationships are going to go forward. They're not going to stop. They're going to, actually, if anything, they're going to become more and more pronounced. I'll be speaking to friends in the industry who are in the rep and sales uh, side of things. And I said, what do you, How do you find your engagement with the AD community has shifted now that you're coming out of COVID? He says, Well, our engagement has become more focused. We don't go and and sort of blast and talk to everyone. We're delivering and and creating relationships as well because we know that in the future, these are the relationships that are going to grow. So sort of putting everything into this sort of one big mixed bag of marbles, if I may, everything we talked about comes to the point where we are humans going forward, connecting with humans. The sales rep, the, the architect, the interior designer, the specifier, all of us, we're going to move forward by knowing people and moving with people. We do that with our clients. This is a relationship. We do that with our reps. We do that with our consultants. Everybody develops a relationship. And we rely on each other's expertise to, to inform the conversation to move forward. We rely on our engineers. They rely on our, on, on, on our, our designers. We rely on the lighting consultants. They rely on the, the construction managers. We all rely on each other's expertise. That, uh, that personal engagement is going to, if anything, is going to get more, stronger and stronger because the amount of data about the product that's out there is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And at some point in time, it becomes background noise. There's so much stuff out there that you need someone to, that you trust, that knows what you want, to tell you, you know what, this is all great. There's 50 things. These are really the three things that I think you'd be interested in, not because I'm trying to sell you something, because I know what you're looking for. Because in the end, I can guarantee you, if, if you come to me and show me three products and you know one of those three I'll pick, it's a better sales for you than trying me to find 50 different products and f- figure out what it is. I appreciate the time and expertise that you bring to the table, and you appreciate the time that, you, that I need to save. So together, we, we, It's again, it's a partnership. We work together to deliver the results. So in the future, if anything, the salespeople, the, the relationship we have with them, really will be that curation of all the data that's out there in what matters. So I think that's that's a relationship worth worth building on.
0: You know, it's funny to paraphrase what you're saying, if I may, uh, and, and I, I'm, I'm doing this for the benefit of uh, all the the reps listening to this, <laughs> because what George is saying is really the most important takeaway from this whole conversation, which. If I may paraphrase, uh, do your research, do your homework, get to know the firms well. Yep. Get to know them. Get to know what they do, spend the time, use, use tools like clarity, focus, and discipline. Get to know these, you know these people, get to know what they do, what they like, what they don't like. They hate having their time wasted yep. and they can sniff you out from a mile away if it's obvious that you're just going for volume and you're not spending the time to get to know people I'll tell you you know i i have i'm in a similar boat i hate it when i get stories pitched to me that come from sources that i know they didn't spend 5 minutes getting to know my media property they you know they they, they assume i do something but they don't really get to know what i this, you know the stories and the content i'm actually interested in and it drives me crazy. It's like, I just wasted X number of time talking to you on the phone or reading your email or having to respond to your fifth follow-up when the f- I shouldn't have got the first email to begin with if you got to know what my magazine's all about, what my ma- media property's all about. I know what you're talking about. And it's it's amazing. Like It's that classic uh, uh, you know uh, truism. Uh, you get out of something what you put into it. It's true with the relationship put something into it to begin with it'll pay out later much better than just trying to be the next guy at the door yeah. banging at it making noise that no one wants to listen to anyway
1: hundred percent i i agree with you hundred percent peter and i would add to that from a sales and a rep sort of side of the, the equation you may be 50 year olds you may be 30 you may be 20 you will engage with different people in the firms that you approach because of age, because of connection, because of everything else. But if you, like, like you said, if you develop that sort of honed understanding of what that firm wants, I can guarantee you as you start being successful, if you en- enter a firm and say the junior level and you do a good job and the firm understands that you you understand each other, you will infiltrate into all the parts of the firm. Eventually you'll get to the, talk to the seniors and the directors and the and the principals because then they understand a value that you put your time into, just like you said, to get to know us, to get to understand what we're looking for, and you're building the relationship from your end as much as we're building it from our end. So so where you start all depends as much on who you are and where you are uh, and the product you have, uh, but w- where you end up depends on how well we get to develop that relationship, and then it just expands on all strata of the firm.
0: Yeah, I mean it's fascinating and kind of hilarious that despite how much of uh, the the world we live in now is 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 just completely trying desperately to navigate change, change on all levels. It's still hilarious how some things never change, <laughs> and that's what it comes down to. With this is when it comes to relationships, there are just yeah. some things. It doesn't matter how Fancy and fast, your phone allows you to connect with people. It doesn't matter. It's the it's the investment you put into it to get to know them on a on a real level.
1: Yeah, it's a human condition. Uh, one hundred and fifty Google searches in one point two seconds may not give you the one product that you can get out of a one minute conversation. So, you're absolutely right. Getting to know each other is, is the most important thing we had, we have, and will never stop having.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and this conversation is a perfect example of that because the amount of time you and I have spent getting to know each other, which is why you were my go-to guy for this conversation, because <laughs> I knew we were going to be striking gold. So listen, I want to say thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us about this somewhat labyrinthine and deep and wide topic. Uh, lots of layers we, we could unpack, but uh, I think we hit on a lot of good good points. So George, again, thank you very much for joining us. And uh Again, to all you listeners out there, put your uh, invest your time in getting to know people.
1: Yeah, 100%. Thanks, Peter. I appreciate it. Always a great conversation, and I hope this conversation answers some questions and maybe even raised even more, which is, which is a good end to it. So thanks so much.
0: Thank you for joining us on this very special episode of Bevel. Be sure to check out our other episodes as well as plenty of other great content at Canadian Interiors by visiting canadianinteriors.com where you can find our social media links and how to subscribe to the magazine. And of course, we encourage you to share Bevel with your networks. This is Peter Sobchak and until next time, Design to Listeners, we encourage you to make it good, make it clear, and make it count. Since its beginnings in 1934, Fisher & Paykel has grown into a global design-led company operating in more than 50 countries. Designed and engineered in New Zealand, its heritage is founded on a pioneering spirit and a culture of curiosity. Fisher & Paykel strives to consistently challenge conventional appliance design while delivering products tailored to human needs. Legacy is about looking into the future and ensuring that what is developed today is aligned with the fundamental principles of sustainable design. Visit FisherPayCal.ca for more information.